You know what's crazy? I'll tell you what's crazy. Camping in the mountains, in the winter, in a tent. It's not just crazy, it's stupid and dangerous. But since danger is my middle name, oh, uh, wait, stupid's my middle name. Well, either way, I have no middle name, but I do have this story. When people say they're cold, it's hard to describe. So when I say this was the coldest I've ever been, it's really hard for you to imagine that. Unless I say things like, I'm talking frostbite cold, bone chilling cold, can I borrow your electric moccasins kind of cold? Now you're getting the picture. Imagine hosing yourself down with liquid nitrogen while dog sledding the Iditarod. Now you're starting to imagine the type of brittle skin shattering numbness that I'm talking about. This frigid nightmare begins when my buddy Adam says, Hey, let's go skiing. Sure, I say, without giving it a second thought. Why not? We're both 18 years old. We have no worries, no concerns. I was young and dumb and full of crazy, and I didn't have time for details. All I know is we're going skiing. Up in Lake Tahoe, why talk lodgings or food or warmth? How could that even matter? All I know is we're going to go skiing. Fun, fun, fun. On the cheap. Why worry about details like lodgings and food and fire and you get it. Adam's big plan was simple and it was stupid. We would hit the slopes for a couple of days and we'd do it inexpensively. Being a college student and having little to no cash, I said, sure, what do you have in mind? He says, it's going to be great. I've got this tent. We can toss it in the woods. Over there by the ski hill, we can wake up and fall into the ski lift line. It'll be great. Fast, convenient, affordable. It's like the Walmart of ski vacations, I think to myself. Man, are we stupid. Adam makes it sound like Shangri-La in the Great White North. He has me believing that we're going to be living large, sleeping at the base of the lodge. He sells it like snow bunnies would be banging on our tent flap, begging to share a hot toddy. This is every schoolboy's dream, right? Adam should have been arrested for aggravated verbal recklessness. He sold that tent to me like it was the canvas version of the Waldorf Astoria. Since my brain also doubles as a flotation device, I said, hey, count me in, brother. I was running on adrenaline and caviar dreams. Our plan is hatched on thin air and Jaeger shots, and we're itching to get going, so I throw together a knapsack for the trip. I mean, we pack fast, we pack light. An extra pair of socks, a few sweatshirts for warmth. As much as I could grab with one hand from a dirty hamper, I toss it into a small sack. Now, since we didn't have the internet back then to check the conditions up on the mountain, of course, we didn't. We couldn't. And since planning was not exactly our strong suit, we didn't give it much thought anyway. We were in Central California at the time, it's a sun-soaked 75 degrees. To me, that means pack for snow bunnies and obviously warm conditions. Nostradamus? I'm not. So I pick Adam up in my 240Z. It's a nifty little two-seater that has some get-up-and-go, but no back seat. I meet him at his house. He's smiling like a possessed demon that just sucked the life out of a corpse. He pops open my hatchback. He tosses in this nylon tent bag with poles and ropes sticking out from everywhere. It looks like a big blue spider giving birth to a badminton set. Adam smiles and climbs in. This is going to be so rad, he shouts. He begins extolling the virtues of outdoor life and the fun we'll have. Like he's got any real time sleeping under the stars to really tell me about. 
and through all his bullshit, the exuberance, the smoke and mirrors. What Adam forgets to tell me is how the temperature is dropping below freezing up in the mountains. The smile that he flashes in the car is the last one I will see for the better part of three days. Day one starts with promise. We get to the slopes. We hit it hard. We ski like Jean-Claude Quillet. We carouse with snow bunnies at the beer gardens. We treat the neatly manicured slopes like our own personal playground. There are ladies galore. And meeting girls, it's really as easy as just skiing into them. Oh, excuse me. Hi, my name's Joe. What's yours? Ah, those were the days. But here's where the story takes a sad and cold turn. As the sun begins setting into the mountains, bathed in a purple hue, snow bunnies and families and anyone with any sense begins to leave the slopes. The throngs of skiers are sunburned. They're tired, but they're secure in the knowledge that revitalization, it's just a shower and a dinner away and into the lodge they go. I watch as they shuffle into the promenade, carrying skis and laughing and preparing to primp and prepare for a wild night of snow bunnying. That's when our unique situation begins to take my mind hostage. Hey, uh, where are we going to set up camp? I shout. I don't even like the way that sentence sounds. Why didn't we meet some girls and just shack up with them, I think to myself. I look at Adam, and his face is blank, like a skillet hanging in a shed. It's then that I realize this plan has no plan. Neither of us speak. In the setting sun, and echoes of laughter in the promenade, it's painfully obvious we're going to have to find our evening revitalization from something other than a hot shower. Adam says he'll liven our spirits by cooking us a little dinner. He tells me about the little Bunsen burner he brought with him. He reminds me about the frozen pound of hamburger that I threw in the back of the car before we left. We'll cook that, he says, smiling. Well, food would certainly get me back into a fighting mood, I think to myself. I'd love a hamburger right about now. Just one little problem. The burger, it's rock-freaking-solid. I'd thrown the frozen chunk of meat into the back of the Z, thinking that it would defrost on the way to the slopes. Sadly, this brick of meat is still a brick of meat. As we drive from the coast into the mountains, the temperature gets colder and colder. And while we skied, the car was a frosty mausoleum, a meat locker. I banged this brick of a burger a few times with an extra tent steak. Bang, bang, bang. It was like trying to chop a cinder block with a plastic fork. Okay, we'll figure out dinner later, I say. It's time to put up the tent. We pull the tent out of the protective sheath. It looks so big in the back of the car. Now it looks like an accessory to a Ken and Barbie set. How are the two of us going to fit in there, I say? Adam says nothing. I think if he spoke, he might confess to a murder that he's yet to commit. In the high beams of my 240Z, we begin to assemble the very small tent. Getting the thin nylon over the skeleton frame is like putting a condom on a kicking mule. It is an extremely tight fit. And with icy fingers and darkness all around, it takes over an hour. We stand back in the frozen quiet to admire our work. And there it was. Home, sweet home. Or, in this case, tent, sweet tent. It was a half dome of thin material, like a windbreaker and a sheet of saran wrap. It looked like a good gust of wind would send our lodgings into the trees. I'm raw and numb from the cold by this point. Banging stakes into snowdrifts 20 feet deep is not easy work. I'm ill-prepared for this weather. I dressed for California sunshine, not snowdrifts and wind gusts. I'm wearing Air Jordan high tops. Every step is a plunge into a frosty snowbank. 
Removing my foot from the snow is like pulling a suction cup off a wet plane of glass. I'm cold, but I'm sweating under my winter layers of sweatshirts and sweaters. I feel like a snake who wants to shed his skin and leave it somewhere. Snow is melting inside my shoes as droplets of thawing tundra run down my ankles. It tickles, but at the same time it burns a frozen pain into my frayed nerve endings. I climb into the tent and stare at the roof, eight inches from my nose. Claustrophobia. It's the decorating theme of the night. This thin insulation against the elements is not very reassuring. It's like sleeping with a blanket made of toilet paper. Needless to say, this is the worst night of my life. Sleep? It's impossible. I can't help but imagine the ski police finding us, frozen stiff in our tiny little hut of death. I envisage the evening newscast devoted to our extreme stupidity. Officials wonder if these two young men might not have had some sort of mental debilitating accident on the ski hill earlier in the day, I imagine the reporter saying in a live remote. The question on everyone's mind is how anyone could be stupid enough to think they could camp in that flimsy thing and expect to live. Back to you, Bob. It was a legitimate question, and while the nylon might keep the wind and moisture at bay, it didn't do bupkis against the frozen temperatures that were now plummeting with the rise of the moon. How were we planning on staying alive, I thought. Well, thankfully, we are wearing four layers of clothing. It's keeping us just warm enough. And aesthetically, four layers of sweatshirts does not provide for that sexy Stay puff Marshmallow Man that ski bunnies are looking for. So we lay down in the tent to get some sleep. The brick of hamburger still by my side. I feel it, hoping that it, maybe it's melted. It's harder than frozen marble. I think a tear may have swelled in my eye, but I couldn't tell because my face was so numb. Cold and fatigue and hunger are now beating me down. We are a ratty, smelly mess with no money or lodgings. We are only slightly better than street hobos. What we thought would be enchanted and adventurous is turning out to be dangerous. Skiing was part of the equation, so was meeting girls. And now, the chance of meeting girls is about as likely as lighting a candle in a monsoon. At this point, Vegas has posted odds on us dying at two to one. The night is a living hell. I toss and turn relentlessly. Dreaming of frozen Godzilla lizards roaming the streets of Tokyo, killing and maiming multi-layered idiots. I'm exhausted. It should have been easy to sleep, but the Stay puff lump I'm laying on now is throwing off my sleep equilibrium. Beside the fact that my sweatshirts are damp and smell like gym locker, I can't lay on my back because I keep wobbling from side to side. And under the tent, there's a root from a tree or a corpse or something large and frozen. It's like sleeping on a broken chunk of glass. If there are normally eight hours in a night, this night is 20 hours long. It's hideous, cold, and dangerous. I don't think I ever wanted to see a sunrise so badly in my life. Not only would light rejuvenate my spirit, but the sun might cast warmth upon my face. My goal is to put the burger in the sun and defrost it so that we can eat it for breakfast. Great plans are often difficult to achieve. This plan is neither great or achievable. With no breakfast or shower or bathroom to occupy our wake-up ritual, we decide to head to the slopes to get an early start on day two. Skiing on numb limbs is not very effective. It's hard to keep your skis under you and find your edge on the ice when you have zero blood flow to your feet. We try and pretend to be normal, like we have eaten and bathed and slept in a bed instead of a raccoon shithole. But that lie is fading fast. We attempt to check out the chicks, but our eyes are bloodshot. We try to fool ourselves to have fun, 
but our brains are bruised mush. We want a drink at the bar, but we didn't bring enough money to waste on random cocktails now. Like two lost souls wandering through a desert of helplessness, we watch the sun creep across the interminable blue sky. As it sinks lower into the hills, so does our spirit. In the forefront of our mind, we know another night is approaching. How can we survive? By late afternoon, my spirit is low. I'm playing a violin on the deck of the sinking Titanic with the sun glowing orange. Dipping behind the peaks, Adam and I are on the ski lift, silently ascending the mountain. I am depressed and unsure if I can survive another night of frozen torture. I think about giving up, going home. I stare at the snow and the snow bunnies swishing down the hill. I'm not a quitter. We're going to beat this mountain, I think. And suddenly, a plan. We're going to hit happy hour, Adam, and we ain't budging all night. I don't need to say another word. He knows to live. We have to do this. We're the Titanic, and the iceberg has ripped away our will to live. While others frolic, we're going into fight-or-flight mode. It's amazing how not dying can really brighten your spirits. We hit the hills hard a few more times trying to make the most of this incredible vacation opportunity. Incredible vacation opportunity? Did I just say that? It's amazing how a brain saturated with frostbite and a belly gurgling with starvation can alter reality. So that evening, the plan is on. We're going to party like it's 1999. We enter the Ski Pole Lodge, a quaint little wooden structure that has an open hearth fireplace in the middle of the room. Attractive patrons are inside already, located by the stone fireplace, eating, drinking, and dancing. It's just what the doctor ordered. And the best part? There's not a tent or a brick of frozen hamburger in sight. We sit down, examining our wallets. We decide we need to save all the money we have for drinks. The decision is really a simple one. All-you-can-eat salad bar. This choice will accomplish two things. First, it assures us of filling our bellies. Secondly, it lets us stay in this warm, cozy bar. Long after we run out of money. To me, staying in the bar is the goal. To stay in the bar means staying warm. To stay warm, all we have to do is maintain a seat at the table and keep eating. It's an all-you-can-eat salad bar. A equals B equals C. It ain't brain surgery, right? It's a damn salad bar. The first few hours, they go by uneventfully. We're eating radishes and mushrooms and eating croutons covered with blue cheese dressing. It's food heaven, and certainly easier than defrosting a burger brick with a Coleman stove. While we eat, we also down pitcher loads of beer. Within hours, we have run out of money. It doesn't take long for the waitress to start hating us. She asks us to leave. She points us out to the management. They quietly alert each other that we're not buying beer anymore. But we're all-you-can-eat salad bar customers, we say to her. Still, I'm getting nervous. Visions of being tossed into the snow make me break out in a cold sweat. We need a plan, and fast. I know they want to replace us at the table and get some alcohol purchasing customers into our spots. Not only are we not pleasant smelling, but we look like homeless people in a rich man's playground. We are bad for business. We smell, we're broke, we're taking up table space, and we look fearful. I don't care. We need to stay on point. We couldn't afford to make a mistake. Adam, we need a plan, I say. His face is filled with stress that frozen people show when they don't want to freeze anymore. We need to keep eating, dude, and eating and eating until there's no more lettuce in that big-ass salad bowl, I say. In hindsight, this is a terrible plan. I mean, really? Eat and eat and eat at the bottomless salad bar, solely to maintain two seats at a table inside a warm lodge. Sadly, it's my only plan. And surprisingly, 
Adam is on board. He quickly begins piling another huge serving on his plate. He creates a six-inch-high mountain of lettuce and radishes and green peppers. It's impressive. This strategy will work well for about an hour. The waitress will come by and ask us if we want another drink. And we say no. That's okay. We're just going to keep finishing this bottomless pile of greens and rabbit food, we tell her. She slinks away, shaking her head. Her smile, it's long since gone bad. Now she sees us as some kind of food lepers, stealing tips from her pocket. When I formulated this plan, I figured we'll eat and eat and eat. The problem is I never took into account that eventually, yeah, get this, we'd get full. Oh no. After our fourth helping of salad, it's becoming painfully obvious we just can't eat anymore. We're nauseated and bloated like stuffed pigs. I look at Adam with a painful, obese look on my face. Yo, dude, I'm way too full to eat any more of this lettuce crap. I think we're gonna have to give up. Adam eyeballs the manager, who's now watching our every move. I look into Adam's eyes and I see controlled panic. Adam senses life and death urgency of the situation. It's either salad or death death or salad. There are no other options. Adam exhales deeply as he pushes himself away from the table. Where the hell you going? I ask nervously. With a look of determination, he says, dude, we've got to keep eating. Since there's no room left in my stomach for that, there's only one answer. He puts his index finger in his throat and begins to gag. Without saying another word, he heads straight for the restroom. His plan, though demented and impoverished, is somewhat brilliant in its single-minded focus. To stay warm, we had to continue eating. To keep eating, he needs to empty his stomach. To empty his stomach, he needs to induce vomiting. I stare as he walks into the men's room. He's carrying a salad dish with him. This is a sorry state of events, I think to myself. Adam returns in a few minutes with a smile on his face. I know what he's just done and it makes me laugh out loud. Adam picks up his plate and goes to the salad bar. He heaps another mountain of rabbit food onto his plate. I bury my head into my hands and laugh into the tablecloth. Like any good plan, this one eventually goes bad, and the manager makes us leave. It looks like a police escort from the hearth to the front door. Everyone stops to stare. Look at those miscreants, they think. We head back to the car. The tents a frozen nylon mess in the back hatch. The hamburger still a frozen anchor of meat. Just then, the wind blows ferociously out of the mountain. The cold is a razor on my sunburned, dirty face. Let's go home, I say. Adam nods. Neither of us have the willpower to open up the tent for another onslaught of cold. I start the car and drive onto the road headed south. Somewhere around Sacramento, I remember saying, Hey, give me that burger brick. Why? He says as he hands me the frozen pound of meat, and with that I roll down my window and I chuck it out on the highway. Adam laughs out loud. To be young and stupid and crazy, that's what makes this such a great country. I have a picture of Adam and me in that tent in the snow and the despair in the woods. It makes me laugh now. It makes me think back to a time when spontaneity and stupid were a bad combination. Remember, life's crazy.